0: If Edis surrendered, it would be better. You can see that, can't you, Jen? Eugenides didn't look at him and didn't speak, not even to point out to the mages that only very close friends were entitled to call him by the shortened form of his name. Jen, sitting in here isn't going to help anything. You can talk sense to Edis. Maybe you aren't a thief anymore, but you could still do something.
1: Cue the rising music. Music I'm Noelle. And I'm Chip. You're listening to the Aetolian Archives, a Queen's Thief podcast to get you through the weight of indeterminate length for book six. This week, war has
2: come to the Little Peninsula. Or rather, it's been there for a while, but we're just finding out about it now because we've been a little bit busy ignoring everyone and everything in favor of crying gently into Euclid's geometry.
0: Man, it's like Jen and I are the same person.
2: (laughs) So, we were talking about this chapter as being... Risk the YA novel.
0: It really is. And it makes me wonder if, as a strategy for defeating the Medes, if they've considered just stacking troops in Australia and just slowly building up and then spreading out and conquering.
2: I'm sure that if somebody had told Irene that, she would have been all over it. There's a lot of uh, Helen giving long exposition and then saying, but I'm sure you already know this, Jen. He's like, yeah, I did. Why are you telling it to me? Oh, it's for the audience.
0: And they turn and look directly into the
2: camera. (laughs) And the the interactions between, there are four players on the board. There's Atolia, Sunis, Edis, and the Medes. And they all have these interconnected relationships. And now that war has started, eh, everybody is very much in a big spaghetti
0: It is a big spaghetti, and I'm glad that you pointed that out. Um, It's a technical term. It is a technical term. Um,
2: It's what they say in war. That's what war people say. That's (laughs)
0: what war people say. Um, I was thinking about how the Medes don't really come up that much in this chapter, where the little peninsula is, you know, weakening itself. And they're doing it sort of based on these wars of personal conflict mm-hmm. and personal guilt and personal retribution in the face of a much greater threat which is very interesting and sort of a core core tenet of these books going forward is the personal becoming of national importance
1: yeah and the meets do come up but more of uh like a background presence overshadowing what's going on closer to home um like there's still the reason that Sunis is trying to, get, t- trying to get control over the other two countries and run the whole peninsula, but that's not the only going concern for his motivations, etc. The meat is kind of like this boogeyman yeah. that's just hovering over everybody.
0: And what stood out to me is that when Edis, who clearly has a very well structured, well thought out plan for how this is going to go down, or at least an idea of I'll do this, and we will do that, and Atolia will do this, mm-hmm. so I'll do that. The Mead don't actually enter into her, maybe she has a plan for it, but she's not sharing it with Jen when she's having this conversation. So it, it raises the question of how far in advance are they thinking? Like, is it simply we got to mm-hmm. hold on? Or, you know, are we actually getting prepared? Or is Jen maybe the only one starting to think about how how they're going to deal with that looming threat it
2: seems like the strategy is just we have to avoid giving the meads the opportunity to get their foot in the door because if they get their foot in the door it's over
1: yeah and so a lot of Edith's current strategy at this point is trying to figure out how much ground has atolia given the meads and how does she have to now react to atolia to figure out if Well, no, so her strategy with Atolia right now, isn't it that, like, she has to assume that Atolia is treating with the Medes, Mm -hmm. so that's why she's trying to depose Atolia. Mm -hmm. And the same, basically the same thing for Sunis is that Sunis also wants Atolia out of the way because she's treating with the Medes.
2: Yeah, so everybody's anxiety about the Medes is causing them to have more conflict with each other and thus making them more vulnerable. Yeah, exactly.
1: And it's kind of heightened just because they can't be sure yeah of what atolia's connections are
0: and noelle you brought up how how well thought up this plan had been of Edith's.
2: i think she's been thinking about this for a while which is interesting because the the fact that the war has been happening really shocks jen mm-hmm. and not only because he hadn't been paying attention which he hadn't been but because he he, he, he thinks the mages tells him that this war has been happening, and he says that's not possible. That wouldn't happen. But Edis has clearly been preparing for the possibility of war since
1: before this incident with Jen's hand. I think Jen's reaction at that point might have been more of a react. he's reacting to the idea that he was the catalyst for Mm. this war, and then Edith's exposition in the rest of the chapter kind of gives us the context that maybe Jen wasn't thinking about when he reacted like that. Mm -hmm. Because something that um, we were talking about earlier um, is, like, on previous rereadings, I always kind of thought, like, okay, Jen was the catalyst, so, like, he's why this entire war was happening, but all of these factors put together makes me think that this war would have been inevitable. Mm-hmm. Even if Jen's hand had been, hadn't been cut off, there would have been a different catalyst for these.
0: Would you say the hand had been forced somewhat?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, and that sort of speaks, again, to maybe some naivete on the part of Jen mm-hmm. yeah. to say that this would never happen. I mean, obviously he's emotional in that moment and in all things ever in life, <laughs> but he's uh, he's a political player. He's a broker of uh, secret political information you would think that he would have at least considered the possibility of war
2: and once he adjusts to the the fact that this is happening, he we're gonna see this in the next chapter. he jumps in and he's able to navigate it's not that because it seems a little bit in this chapter like he is used to preventing war like solving the problems before they happen and so war is kind of a maybe a foreign thing to him but he is quite um uh, maybe not comfortable in it but he 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 knows uh how to apply his skill set and way of thinking
1: to this situation and as we've talked about before he does have a really martial background yeah against his will so he's he, like you said, he's not comfortable with this, but I think he is prepared for it.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's like, like when he, uh, when he's forced to fight in The Thief. Right. He's talked about how he doesn't want to do it, he doesn't want to do it, he doesn't want to do it, and then he says, oh, all right, I'll just go and I'll kill everybody.
0: <laughs> That's our boy.
1: That's our boy. The Magus says to Jen in this chapter that Edith's council voted unanimously for war. The Minister of War abstained. Do you guys think he abstained because he had too much of a personal stake in it because of Jen's injury? Or did he abstain for a different reason? Because I never, like, on previous rereads, I hadn't given much thought as to, like, why... I mean, he's the Minister of War. This is his area. So that's the only reason I could think of for him abstaining. But what do you guys think?
2: Yeah, I always thought it was because he had too much... Of an emotional stake. Okay. Uh, and I think the minister of war is somebody who is very principled, and who doesn't want to, uh, and especially not publicly, let his relationships affect his policy decisions. Yeah. And I think he's, you know, he's, he's a little bit distant from Jen in public generally.
0: Mm-hmm. And yet, the motivations for the war. I mean, what well, we've we've talked about mm-hmm. uh, causes, but motivations in terms of motivating a people. We've talked about Jen becoming kind of a folk hero and the loss of the hand being representative of something that Atolia had taken from Edith, Mm -hmm. not just from Jen. So the fact that he's abstaining on personal grounds from a war that is ostensibly motivated by personal causes Mm -hmm. is interesting.
2: Yeah, and quite, uh, like, um, unreservedly so. People are are, are very open about it being about Jen's hand.
0: Which I, I think speaks to some of Jen's discomfort with the war as a whole. I mean that's that's a way to feel real guilty about something, is that everyone is using, you know, something that happened to you as motivation for a war.
1: And like five or six or seven or however many of his own cousins actually die in Mm. this war already. Right off the bat. Which he sees in this chapter and he like has to react to it. like he flinches and just
0: And he says the conversation the conversation has been lacking at court. Yeah, that's why. Oh my
2: god. And because even though people are going around saying that this is about him, they won't talk to him about it. And I was thinking about how, like, Jen as a folk hero followed very quickly by Jen as a martyr is kind of moneyed and complicated by the fact that Jen is still around. hes He didn't die, he's kicking around, and that's a little bit inconvenient for his position as this tragic loss because he is still a, a factor, even if people don't want to admit it. So I think it's more convenient for people to kind of put him in the past and make him less
1: of a person and more of an idea. And then when he jumps back into the political arena and blows up the Navy, then I guess that kind of, it moves it along to the next stage where he's not seen that way anymore. But um, something else that speaks to that point of Jen feeling guilty about this whole war and how his position at the court has changed is that when he, in this chapter, he tries to get up onto the roof And um, a soldier has been told to stop him because Edith thinks he's suicidal, which is a whole other thing. (laughs) Yikes. (laughs) But (laughs) so the soldier calls him Sir and the narration says, no one had ever called him Sir before he stole Athus's gift, but since then it had been cropping up quite often. He didn't like it. So that just also shows... His inner conflict over his shifting role in this court and the attention that he's now getting as he's coming out into the open as a political force.
0: And if he doesn't like it when they call him sir, boy is he not going to oh. like it when they call him your majesty.
1: <laughs> Planting the seeds.
0: Circling back for just a moment, though, <laughs> uh, would you say that uh, that uh, after making his return that... Uh, Jen is maybe ready to throw hands.
2: <laughs> uh, I would also like to note that uh, in our notes we have Edith in trousers, yeah boy, with an eye, and Chip has recently highlighted it.
0: <laughs> well, I just I felt like we we had you know passed the point, but I, I you know it is Gotta make sure we don't. It's skip worthy it. of recognition <laughs> at the very least.
2: This I have a really 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 important question about that though or edis's trousers (laughs) bell-bottoms
0: having you having just said that made me realize i was instinctively picturing them as like like a (laughs) wide maybe not a bell-bottom but like definitely a very wide leg like real (laughs) chic like kind of sailor cut is what i was picturing and um do you think they have big buttons on them
2: Oh, I hope so. I hope they have unnecessary buttons. Well, that's not very Helen, but...
0: (laughs) It's not, but she uh, she, they do have pockets, we know this much.
2: Yes, of course. She's wearing cargo pants.
0: She's got to be wearing cargo pants. That's the thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad we settled this.
1: (laughs) It makes me wonder if her attendants are just as fussy about her trousers as the rest of her clothes, or if they let them, you know, (laughs) let them go. But that's so... That's cool that it's mentioned that he hasn't seen her in a dress except for the formal dinners and he can't remember the last time she wasn't wearing trousers because that implies that this is societally accepted, right? Like, I mean, probably in maybe this time of emergency. just in this time of emergency with just the queen. Possibly, probably, but like...
0: War, colon, it's pants time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> time to put on my war pants. <laughs> thinking of the logistics um
0: of the pants or the war
1: of wearing the pants like if i mean she would be wearing pants to have more mobility or potentially to train with a sword Mm -hmm. because like i mean if she wasn't being more physically active wouldn't she still be in a dress or is this more of a like she's most comfortable in trousers and reverts to it when she can
0: i kind of imagine it as the latter of her uh it is being more comfortable in this mode of attire and it being a time of war there are fewer courtly events that she needs mm-hmm. to appear yeah. queenly at and that's... so she can sort of wear what she wants because she's got to do as opposed to I just swore so that's I'm going to take that back <laughs> um, she's got real stuff to take care of and so she's going to wear pants while she does it because that's how she rolls uh, I kind of wanted to circle back again this time not for a pun uh, to talk about the idea that edis's conclusion about jen's condition is that he's suicidal Mm -hmm. that
2: uh which to be fair he has been
0: yeah um i i don't know if that shows forethought or a kind of a lack of intimacy Mm
2: -hmm.
0: uh, because obviously she hasn't really been there for him she's got other stuff to do as we've discussed um but at this point i don't think that's where jen is at or at least that's not how i read it
2: no yeah and he is um he's very uh offended by the implication um i think maybe even more so because he has recently been suicidal and he feels uh he knows that people know that and so he feels defensive
1: and i think he's also probably offended because she just gave that order instead of talking to him about it first yeah so that now it's it's public he yeah. has a scene with her in front of three soldiers and a, a um, doctor's attendant
2: and his response is to make it more public and go <laughs> and yelling more, scream about and it more
0: personal too yeah
2: yeah true and he uh throws some great ink pots
0: god that's our boy <laughs>
1: Gotta, gotta establish that theme early. And um, in that scene where he's yelling at Edith, uh, he says, like, oh, tell me next that you've apprenticed me to a bookkeeper, and you've bought me a nice house in the suburbs, and there's you've arranged a nice marriage to a girl who doesn't mind cripples. And then um, the narration is in Edith's perspective, and it says, the accusation about the arranged marriage had been a home shot. Which... This never really comes up again, but I thought that was worth bringing up, that, like, this is where Edith thought his life would best be headed next if he was out of the political arena, that, like, he needs... That he
2: should should go to a university, maybe, and get married, and...
1: Yeah, he needs something else to do, and that thing must be marriage, which is, I just thought that was very interesting, because usually in uh, fantasy or fiction... That's a very, like, the gender role is reversed, that women are the ones who are expected to get married for something to do, Mm -hmm. whereas for men, you have a career and then you also have marriage. It's not like an either-or type of thing. Which might be um, an implication
2: of, uh, in this society, the way that ableism works, like, Disability or certain kinds of disability kind of like alienate you from masculinity.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. Because everyone assumes, if like up until the point where they see Jen fight after having lost a hand, everyone assumes that having lost a hand means that he can no longer take part in the masculine-dominated field of self-defense, etc. So, even though one of his hands has been replaced <laughs> by a <laughs> knife. <laughs>
0: That's our boy, your majesty, Knife Hands. <laughs> and, boy, do people, def- people do do people forget about the knife. They do! They just <laughs> really do.
2: Jen is also running out of places to hide. And he goes to hide on the roof. He can't go on the roof. The temple's kind of played out, because people know he'll go there now. He has his rooms that he's either going to stay in them forever,
1: or he's going to get out there and, and sink some boats. And sink some goddamn boats <laughs> and at this point he probably realizes you know if he did try to keep hiding the gods would just come after him again yeah but like in an even less nice way there comes a point in everybody's recovery process
2: where you need to go out and burn the navy of a small country <laughs> Something that I wanted to bring up was at the end of the chapter, uh, well, throughout the chapter, uh, Edith has been talking about how one of the tactics that she's employing in the war is that usually in the spring after the floodwaters come, the Edesians repair the infrastructure between... Uh, Edis and Atolia for the trade routes and getting through the pass and stuff, but this year they're not going to do that and they're even going to make it worse so that it's harder for Atolia to get her army in. And towards the end of the chapter there is a description of that, of the water kind of washing away uh, these uh, roadways and, and links. And I thought that was really cool because it's this literal erasure of the connections and the positive relationship between these two countries.
0: God, I'm so excited for him to go sink some boats, though. Oh, uh,
2: I forgot about that part. I haven't read this book it's in so satisfied. long, guys. I forgot. this. In this chapter, they talk about all the stuff that he didn't notice in the last chapter, but I didn't remember this chapter, and so when you brought that up when we talked about the last chapter, I was, like, shocked. It blew my mind.
0: That's it for Chapter 7. Next episode, Jen steals the navy.
2: Steal the navy! Send us your comments, questions, and thoughts. Chime in at atolianarchives.tumblr.com. Be blessed blessed in your endeavors. endeavors. This is an amateur cross-stitch production. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever.